Thank you, Jesus. My wife leaned over to me when we were singing that song. She said, you know how you know God's not done with you yet? You're still breathing. You know, we, we come in here every week and we, we worship together and we listen to the word. We hopefully take in truth, take in wisdom and understanding. But the purpose in all of this is first to bring glory to God. Do you understand that? People say, why do we gather together? Why is it important? It's important because we gather together to glorify His name, to lift Him up. And there's just something powerful about when we do it together instead of just by ourselves. But the second reason we do it is so that we become better. I don't want to be the same person next year that I am today. I don't even want to be the same person tomorrow I am today. And, and, and I thank God by His grace, I'm a better person today than I was 10 years ago. That's why, that's why, to be honest with you, we tend to be better as grandparents even than we were as parents. We have more patience. We have more grace. My grandkids can totally destroy the house, and I would have took a strip out of them if they were my kids, but they're grandkids, so they can do whatever they want. You know, This is all a journey that we're on together. And sometimes we're so focused on the end that we miss the journey. And there's a lot of good in the journey. There's a lot of grace in the journey. There's a lot of joy in the journey. And, you know, there's still great things yet to come. But there's great things God's doing in you today. And don't let shame or regret or feelings of failing in the past rob you of what God wants to do today. He wants to do something in you today. And so many times we come to him and we're like, we're just so self-defeating. We are so self-condemning. We put on a really good facade for everybody that we work with and interact with all week long. How are you doing? I'm doing, oh, great, good, you know, awesome. Nobody would listen if I complained anyway. All those kinds of lines we come up with. But, you know, in reality, inside, we've got something going on that, that we feel shame over, that we feel condemned over, that we feel you know, not worthy. And then we come in on Sunday and, and we'd love to be one of those people, you know, that we see at the front, right? One of, yeah, one of those successful, joyful, you know, happy, blah, blah, blah people. And the reality is, is that the difference between you literally has little to do with them having their stuff more together than you. It has to do with they've given just the stuff over to Jesus that you haven't given over to him yet. That's it. That's it. I'm not any more together than anybody else, but I have learned, thankfully. I mean, I'm the pastor, so I hopefully have learned this. But I've, I've just learned to give it to Jesus. And, you know, and I still mess up, but I take it to him quicker than I ever did before. And I, I just keep taking it back to Jesus, and I say, God, you know, 
Just like the Apostle Paul, he said he had this struggle going on within him. And then he said, who can deliver me from this body of flesh? And then the very next words out of his mouth are, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, because God is the only one who could deliver him out of that. And this is Paul, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He struggled with stuff. So don't go thinking you're special because you struggle and, well, you know, obviously I'm, I'm just terrible. I don't think you're worse than, than, than or better than Paul. You're just human like Paul. Amen? So this morning in this place, I don't think I can go any further because I, I got a message. I got to really talk to your heart today. So I need to know that your heart, and I'm usually a more cerebral guy, right? You know? But today, this is a real heart message. And it was really hard for me to work on it because I'm, I'm here and this God's pulling me here and I'm still here and he's pulling me back down here. And, and I'm going to go here today. So I want you to be able to lay this out before the Lord today. Would you do that with me? Would you, would you just take a step of faith today to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be vulnerable with you today. And let you work on my heart today. He's working on mine, so he may as well work on yours too, right? All's fair, right? So I want you to just take, just as a gesture, take your hands like this and just kind of like pull your heart out of your chest and then just lay it out like this in front of you before the Lord. Father, we take our heart today and we, we lay it before you at your feet. Father, would you help us receive Today in our hearts. Our hearts that have, you know, often been broken. Our hearts that have been left feeling empty. That have been left, Father, struggling to be connected to you and to your love and to your grace. Hearts that, Lord, have been wounded by friends and by peers. That have been wounded by loss. That have been punctured, Lord, with words that cut so deep. We didn't know how we were ever going to get back. And Father, we just take our hearts today and we lay them out before you and say, God, healer, Jehovah Rophe, heal hearts in this place today. Heal and restore hearts in this place today. Do it, Lord, through the mystery and the majesty of your word. And Father, ask it today in Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Barry, would you hand me that water, please? Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Then you get the lights. <laughs> yeah. yeah, bring them up a little bit. I can't see anybody except for those who are in the back rows who are bald. I can see a little bit of shine off your head. Otherwise, you're gone. Praise the Lord. That's great, Bear. Thanks. Coldest night of the year is on Saturday. We got a long ways to go to reach our goal. We need your help. If you've not registered to walk, go online and register. If you want somebody to come and walk under a team, the crisper's here. He's set up in the foyer. I don't know how you could miss it. If you buy a shirt today, he'll press it for you. I mean, how many of you get an ironed t shirt when you leave the store? You're going to get that today. See Rob, and uh, we, if you've never walked the coldest night of the year, uh, come and do it. It's an incredible experience. 
as we do so to all of the proceeds from it go to uh, Grace Inn. And uh, I know that there is so much tension in our community today over uh, the, the issues of homelessness on Church Street and the downtown core. There's frustrations on every level. There's feelings of inadequacy in how to deal with the problem. And uh, all I can tell you is that the work that Grace Inn's doing and the way that we go about it has helped reorder the lives of so many people. And, uh, you know, and God brought, literally dumped into our lap Shiloh House, and we opened that. And we have been able to graduate men out of that program back into the workforce, back into the community, back into, uh, you know, a drug-free life. And we're, we are believing for literally hundreds of people to be restored. And uh, we need your help to do that. Our, you know, I know there's a lot of, of, of myth out there. Can I just spell one myth right now? There has never been a bus that stopped at our city and dropped off homeless people. I don't know where that comes from. Uh, if you saw the bus, get the bus driver's name, find out who it was. Uh, there is, that has never happened. The vast majority of people that are receiving help for services in drug addiction and homelessness in this area are in, in the city of Belleville are from Hastings County. Now, they may not be from our city, but they are drawn here from this region because this city has the most services available to them. And this is not a unique problem. Uh, they had, uh, I believe it was around 40 overdoses in the last week or so in Kingston. Uh, they have, uh, Coburg has been uh, struggling with it. I read an article that uh, this week, all the way in, in uh, Duncan, British Columbia on Vancouver Island, uh, the struggles that, that, that happened as the, uh, the um, thrift store across from a high school was burned to the ground by people who were huddling in the in the building and and uh, and who set it ablaze and and literally struggles with needles and addiction and stuff all over the place. It is not a Belleville problem. It is a national and international crisis. And there is a there is a spirit behind addiction that needs to be broken in Jesus' name. And and people need to be set free from the addiction and they're not going to receive freedom and liberty from somebody that hates them. Just saying. That's not even what I'm preaching about this morning. It's just, you know, love, compassion. Sometimes it's got to be tough love. Grace, mercy, hope. These are the things that need to be delivered by the people of God. And uh, we, we need to do everything we can to invest in helping people get healthy and get better. Amen? And, uh, and so we, we start by prayer, and then we move to action. And this is a simple thing you can do if you've never done it before. Uh, you'll, you'll get a great tour of, of Grace Inn. You'll be able to see what's going on there if you've never been in the building before. Uh, talk to Rob afterwards. He could tell you story after story about what God is doing. And we're so grateful for all of that. Amen? And so we, we ask you to help. And uh, it's, a, it's a national crisis. If you think it's just in Belleville, you're, not, you're woefully naive. It is a, it's an international crisis. And so we have to have strategies where we all work together 
to bring healing to the nation. Amen? And the Bible says the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of what? The nation. And, uh, and so we have an opportunity as Canada, who has, I think, the only country in the world with a leaf on its flag, to be the healing for the nations. Amen? Are, am I making any sense today? That was all for free right there. Okay, so we've been talking about living our lives as sons and daughters of the king. Mark Henshaw gave one of the best messages I think I've heard uh, on January 14th when he talked about his journey to sonship with the Father. And so he shared about how when he came to, to faith, he came as I think virtually all of us do, we come to Jesus. We, we hear the gospel story that Christ died on the cross on our behalf, and so we are compelled to come to God as Jesus, right? And we receive the sacrifice of Christ, his substitutionary work on our behalf, and when we embrace faith, we come to know Christ. And then he talked about later in years, uh, after his Sunday school encounter kind of thing with Jesus, that when he was in university, he had a power encounter with Holy Spirit. And how Holy Spirit literally demonstrated to him a life of power and of healing and of, of being able to witness and have all those things that, that took place on the day of Pentecost he experienced in his own personal journey in life. And, and so he did a wonderful job sharing about that as well. But then he talked about how that coming to know God as Father really didn't happen until much later in life. He said, in fact, literally most of those pieces of the puzzle didn't come together until he was living here in Belleville, and he's been working these things out as, as a son and, and saying, Father, help me in that journey. Did I get that right, Mark? And so, you know, the reality is we are all probably have a similar journey to, to Mark's. I know I, I came to Jesus. It was Jesus who I heard about, and I said, I need that. And so I laid down my drugs and I laid down my addictions and all of that kind of stuff at the feet of Jesus and I experienced Jesus. And then not too long after that, I think it was only a month later, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and I began to experience uh, God as Holy Spirit. And I began to just hunger for you know power. I wanted to see miracles and I wanted to see this and I wanted to see that. And, and then I went off to Bible school and power, 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 power and all that kind of stuff for, for years. And then later in my life, I started to come to God as Father. And uh, most of us, uh, our journey is very similar to that. And uh, our journey with God as Father doesn't come until later in our Christian life. And why is that? And I think it's because to experience God as Father is to walk with God in a manner that is so intimate, so human, requiring such humility from us requiring us to take the position of a son or a daughter, that it's hard for us to embrace God on such a deep relational level. You know, we can always embrace Jesus. He's our brother, right? That's easy. Holy Spirit, you know, we, we often have very misguided ideas about Holy Spirit, you know, like the force be with you or something, when Holy Spirit's actually a person. So we, we have all of these concepts, but God is Father, that's real, that's tangible, and that's something that is very difficult for us. Almost every struggle that we have and we try to resolve in our journey of faith is a father issue. It's a father issue. And if we had any issues with our earthly fathers, they get transferred to our heavenly Father. 
And it doesn't matter how much our moms or our dads loved us, there's still this hole in the back of our heart, and they never did it perfectly. I know my parents loved me, but they didn't do it perfectly. I love my children. I didn't do it perfectly. And what happens is, is any, any things that we feel, any hurts we have, where they get transferred to the father as well. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, I had a great relationship with my dad. It was my mom that I just couldn't click. But it's the same thing. Mother issues, father issues are the same. And, and Jesus and God, I should say, is both the expression of the, there's the mother heart and the father heart of God. And, there, and, you know, God created both men and women, right? So you understand the embodiment of both is in him. And so whether you have father issues or whether you have mother issues, uh, they, they all get transferred to God when we start trying to come to him as father. And it's, and it's not easy for us. It's not easy. So this morning, I want to I talk about encountering God as father. And so for some, this is going to be an easy message. You're going to go, okay, yeah, I got that. I've been... I've been really tracking with God as my father for a long time, and I've dealt with all kinds of heart issues, and I've laid those things at his feet, and, uh, and that's good. But for others, you know, this might be tough. You might say, I, you know, I, I can't even think about God as my father. I can see him as my savior. I can encounter the Holy Spirit. I want that. But, but don't talk about me, him being a father. If God's a father, fathers to me are, it's just a, it's a dead pathway. I don't want to go there. And God wants to restore that because you need to encounter God as Father today. So I ask today, Father, that you would show us your Father heart today. That we would be able to come to you as sons and daughters. The Lord, we'd be able to take all of the issues of our heart and we'd be able to lay them at your feet today. And Father, that you would show us that, that you want to embrace us as a Father. You want to love us as a father. You want to reveal yourself to us as father. So help us today to be able to receive that. Lord, if there's areas of our heart that need to be healed and restored today, Lord, we're asking for you to do that work today. Put us on a journey where you you become our father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you ever had one of those moments where you said something that was just so profound that you're wondering, where did that ever come from? And it just came out just like that. You didn't even have to think about it. And, and then you're thinking to yourself, when it comes out of your mouth, i got to write that down. That's so good. But then you don't end up having to write it, need to write it down because it was so good, it just stuck in your head, and it's there, and you can't get it out, and, and you can't forget it. You ever have that? I've happened it maybe once or twice in my life. Uh, the last time I had that happen was when... Last fall, we were, in, we were in Banff after we'd been uh, up to see Mike Karachuk and stuff. Then we went down to Banff, and, and Adam and Nikki were coming out, so they joined us in Banff. And so we're walking down the streets of Banff together, you know, and it's a nice fall day, you know. And then Adam says, you know, the, the young adults had started up, and we're talking about, you know, the young adults. And so Adam says, what do you think are the needs of the young adults, right? And uh, I said, well, they're the same as the needs of everybody else. And then I blurted out this answer that I didn't even think about. And then afterwards, I went, whoa, that was good. Exactly. You know what I'm talking about. See, Barry's had these epiphany moments. He knows, he knows what I mean. And, and I said, uh, wow. I said, well, here it is. I said, everybody needs, I said, everybody needs love, identity, purpose, and hope. Those are the four things. Every question I said in life that we have is summed up in those four things. 
And afterwards I went, man, that was good. I said, that, is, that was better than Kevin. That was, that was just good. And it was one of those deposits from the Holy Spirit that he just put right in me. Love, identity, hope, purpose. Love, identity, purpose, hope. I mean, we need those things in our life. Someone say amen. And since that conversation, since that time we're walking down the street, I've muddled that answer over and over and over and over again in my heart. And I've come to understand that, that these are all things, love, right, identity, purpose, hope, these are all things that we receive from the Father, right? They're all things that we receive from the Father. You see, the Father, the Father loves me. The Bible says he loved me while I was still his enemy. And the Father says that he loves me even though he knows my heart. He loves me. So I can't hide anything from him. So my struggles, if I have any struggles with giving and receiving love, they can only be resolved by embracing the love of the Father. Right? You see, the Father knit me in my mother's womb. The Bible says that he knew me before I was born, that he created me to be me. And so any struggles that I have with identity can only be solved by coming to know him as the Father, the one who created my identity in the first place. You know, then we look at our purpose, right? It's God who equipped me. It's God who gave me the gifts that I have, my talents, my abilities. They're all a part of me. And so if I struggle with feeling purposeful in life, if I, if I want to know what I'm supposed to do, all of that stuff is a father issue as well. We need to get to know him as father so that he can help us with our purpose. And then our future, right? The father, the Bible says, holds the days of my life in his hand. So all of my expectations, all of my, my concerns and worries about my future, all of those things, all of those hopes are answered by my connection and my understanding. God is Father as well. And so love and identity, purpose, hope, all rooted in the Father. Every struggle I have in this journey in life is answered by knowing the Father and knowing how he is the one who enables me to be able to receive and to give love. He's the one who identifies me and calls me by name. He is the one who has gifted me and, and, and planted within me skills and things that I can fulfill my purpose. And he's the one, the Bible says, in Jeremiah 29, who has plans to give me a hope and a future. Wow. All from the Father. Now, this relationship with the Father is made possible because Jesus came and gave his life on the cross. And we all know the theology behind that. We all know the, the gospel story, the good news story. But we struggle and we go in and out of the kingdom. And we, we have times of feeling powerful and not powerful and all this stuff because we, we, we go so far in our journey and we don't actually get to a place where we know him as Father. And we come to the Father. And when we get to embrace Him as Father, and I see myself as a son, all this stuff gets dealt with in my heart. Amen? So I'm not going to try and cover all four of those today. I'm just going to talk about love today. We'll start with the first one, love. Amen? Can we do that? We'll start with the first one, love. And uh, so let's talk about love. I read about a young man. He was determined to win the affection of a young lady's heart. And he had tried and tried. She refused to talk to him anymore. She didn't seem interested. 
So then he had this epiphany. I'm going to write her love letters. So he began to write her a love letter, put it in an envelope, send it in the mail every day. Every day he's writing her. Every day. Six, seven days a week he's writing her these love letters. And then when he hears nothing in response, does he quit? Does he back down? No. No, 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 no. He ups his game. He starts writing two, three a day. In fact, over a course of a number of months, he wrote over 700 letters that were delivered right to her door that he wrote to her over all of that time. And I got to tell you, did it work? Did the love letters work? You better believe they did. She married the postman. Come on, that's good, right? Come on. <laughs> See, hon, I got, I got a better laugh than Mark. She told me that was a Mark joke. I said, oh, I think that's better than a Mark joke. Come on. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes our ideas about love are about as fickle as that story, right? And we, we don't have an understanding of love to start with. Love is so disposable. It's so, it's so transient. It's so transferable. You know, one week I'm in love with this person. The next week I'm in love with this person. You know, we talk about loving ice cream. We talk about loving our sports teams. We talk about love in such a casual way. And the problem that we have in English is we only have one word for love. But the Greeks, no, they had multiple words for love. Four main ones that we talk about. And, uh, and, they had a word for, you know, uh, brotherly love, phileo, so from which the word Philadelphia comes from. And so they had that kind of love, right? Then they had another love, eros, which is erotic, sexual love. But then they had this love that was called agape love, right? And this agape love, this is this unconditional love. This is love that says, I love you, period. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything to get, get my love. You don't have to uh, you know, work anything up. I just simply love you. Now, when the Beatles said, all you need is love, and then they consequently broke up, you know, I don't think they had an understanding and a revelation of agape love. That's the problem. I think they were talking more about eros love or maybe even phileo. But they weren't talking about agape love. Most of what we hear bantered around as love today I mean, I think love is one of the most common words used in songs, and I think baby's the other one. You know, you know how many times we'll say, baby, 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 you know, all this stuff in songs, and then love gets tossed around. But I don't think hardly any of those songwriters, unless you move over to UCB Canada, 102.3, understand love as agape love. Agape love. Unconditional love. The Bible simply states, God is love. 1 John 4, 8, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Because God is love, by His very nature, He must love. He has to. It's, it is who He is. So He has to get it out. God must love. C.S. Lewis said it this way, God loves us, not because we're lovable, but because God is love. 
So he doesn't love you because you're lovable. He doesn't love you because you're perfect. He doesn't love you because you're good enough. He loves you because his very nature is love. Real love is not earned. Love is not won. It's not a reward for performance or achievement. You don't have to sing, teach, preach, or pray well to be loved. People will not love you for what you do, rather for who you are. Otherwise, it is not love. If anyone says, I love you, but, and as soon as they put that word in there, we're not talking agape love. Love says, I love you, period. Now, there may be things about you that annoy me. There may be things about you that need to change. But God says, I love you. God loves you enough that he doesn't even want to leave you the same way you are. He wants to change you and work on you and refine you. But none of that is is to make you more lovable. He already loves you. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? They're to make you more loving. But he can't make you more lovable because he already loves you. Am I making any sense to anybody here this morning? It's imperative that you kind of absorb the fullness of that truth today. Because if we don't grasp this truth, then our relationship with God as Father is going to be forever stuck. He will not be our Father. You will not be a daughter and a son, but rather He's going to be and remain your master and you're going to stay a servant. He's going to be the boss. You're going to be an employee. He's going to be the king and you're going to be a loyal subject. If you can't get to the place where you can embrace the love of God as Father, then that's where your relationship will get stuck. And am I a servant? Am I a a, a loyal subject of his kingdom? Sure, but I am more than that. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I am a child of the king. And if if I can't see him as father, I can't see myself as a son. If I can't embrace him as a father, I can't live as a son. The truth of the matter is the kingdom of God is only made of sons and daughters. It's not made up of orphans. Heaven is not an orphanage. It's a family. And God is inviting us to step out of the orphanage of life and into his family. To be embraced and, 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 and taken in as a son and a daughter adopted adopted, grafted in with full rights and privileges. The Bible uses the term joint heirs with Christ, a son and daughter. So therefore, Paul says, we're no longer orphans, but we are sons. We are daughters of the king. That's who we are. And and we can't get rid of that orphan spirit if we can't receive the love of the father. So I'm going to share with you four truths about God's love this morning as Father. First of all, truth number one, to fully love Jesus, God has to become your Father. Think about that for a minute. If you cannot embrace Him fully as Father, you'll not be able to fully love Jesus. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said it. He did? John chapter 8, verse 42. And Jesus said to them, If God, if God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, you would love me. 
for I proceeded forth from the Father. I didn't come by myself. He sent me. So if God were your Father, you would love me. So in other words, if, if, if we cannot accept the Father and His love, we're not going to properly love Jesus. The Jews, the Pharisees, they rejected Jesus because they didn't know the Father. And they didn't embrace the love of the Father. If they did, then they would have loved Jesus. But they didn't. And so they spurned Jesus. In order for us to really have a relationship with Jesus, we've really, truly got to get to know the Father. And to receive Him as coming from the Father, full of grace, full of truth, full of love. When God is our Father, we will love His Son better than we've ever loved Him before. You might think you love Jesus now, but if you get your father relationship as a son straightened out, you're going to love Jesus more deeply than you've ever loved him before. You're going to fall more in love with Jesus than ever before. Is that not true, Mark? As you've come to know him as father, do you not love Jesus even more? You're going to love Jesus even more when you begin to receive the love of God as your father then you're going to be able to love your brother Jesus who laid his life down for you. You're going to go, wow, wow. Bro, that was amazing you did that for me. That's so incredible. I just love you so much. Because you received the love of the Father. If you embrace God as Father, it'll show up in our love, especially for His Son. So, you know, why, do we, why are we so crazy in our worship sometimes? Oh, sorry about that sound, man. Why are we so demonstrative? Why are we so hands in the air and jumping up and down and loud and expressive? Because we've had a revelation of the fact that I'm a son or I'm a daughter. And it just makes me love Jesus so much I can't keep it in. i got to get it out. You know what I'm saying? It's got to come out. It's got to come out. All right, truth number two. Truth number two. Through his love, we have become children of God. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. The Father's love transforms us. It actually, it actually literally alters your spiritual DNA. So that you are no longer an orphan living outside of his family, but you are literally transformed and adopted and brought in. And something even greater than adoption, you're literally become by nature, by nature, like Jesus Christ. You literally become, and, 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 and the Christians went around preaching this so much that they got, got, they got the na- nickname in Antioch, Christians, Little Christ. Because they so understood themselves to be be literally transformed like Jesus that they got called little Christ, Christians. That's what the word means. And so when you're labeled Christian, it means you're a a miniature Jesus. You are a, a, a picture of Jesus. You are a replica of Jesus. You are somebody who's in the same family, in the same DNA as Jesus. That's who you are. And so you've been transformed from the inside out, to literally be like Jesus. And that comes from the Father. So that's why I said there are no more orphans in the kingdom of God. They're sons and daughters. 
And so you've got to get to this place where you're able to embrace him as your father or else you run the risk of living as an orphan. And why would you live as an orphan when you can literally be adopted? Why live like a puppy in the window at the pet shop at the face when you could actually be the one that the person comes in, scoops them up in their arm and takes them home? Right? I mean, it's a, it, you, you get the analogy when we talk about pets, but my goodness, it's much greater when we talk about people. He wants to grab you and pull you into himself and say, my son, my daughter, you're mine, and I love you. And you're supposed to look up at him and say, Dad, Abba, which literally is the Aramaic word for it, Daddy, Daddy. One of the first words a little kid says in Aramaic was Abba. Daddy. And again, we're uncomfortable with that. Oh, that sounds so, so lame. Oh yeah, your love for God is so much more sophisticated than, than Paul's. Who said that his adoption caused him to call God Abba. Right? Are you hearing me? That's what he wants to do. He wants to love us so thoroughly as a son or a daughter, that we call him daddy. And even saying the word makes people squirm, daddy. No, he's my heavenly father. And see, you can't call him daddy. You just I, I, I struggle with that, pastor. And you struggle with being a son. He's your daddy. That's who he is. And you're his boy or you're his girl. And he's your daddy. Hallelujah. Truth number three. We need to receive the love of the Father in order to be able to love. Now again, remember, we only have one word in English for love. So you don't necessarily need to receive the love of the Father in order to have a good friend, to have some phileo love, brotherly love. You don't need to experience the love of the Father to experience eros. But you do need the love of the Father to agape people. To love, as we like to say around Desert, Desert Stream, to love beyond knowledge. What does that mean, Pastor? It means that we love somebody despite what we know about them. That's what loving beyond knowledge means, right? So maybe they've hurt you. Maybe they've wounded you. Maybe they've said things about you. You have knowledge of things that could build a wall between you and them, but you love beyond knowledge. You go beyond what you've experienced, beyond what you've heard, beyond what you've heard. You love beyond knowledge. It's not just a word. It's something we have to practice. And sometimes the people that hurt us are the people closest to us. What do I have to say about that? I don't know how to get past that, Pastor. Love beyond knowledge. Go beyond what you know, beyond what you've experienced, beyond what you've been hurt. Love beyond it. See, that's agape love. Love, period. No conditions. We can't do that kind of love unless we've experienced the love of the Father. I know this from my own personal experience, that without... Knowing Christ, my love, the love that I gave to other people always had conditions attached to it. But when I met Christ, I was able to let go of the conditions and my relationships were no longer contractual. Are you hearing me? 
They cease to be contractual and they become transformational. Because we love, period. We simply love other people. Praise the Lord. John understood this really well, and he summed it up. John, the one who said this, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? What a moniker to put on yourself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, I I find that so incredibly uh, heartwarming. This is a guy who got it, who got it, who got the Father's love. And he said this, 1 John 4.19, we love because he first Loved us. So we've been loved so that we can love. Amen? And the final truth. Truth number four. We don't have to earn his love, but, everybody say but. When we're loved, it changes the way we live. So if we've truly received his love, his agape love, and remain in his love, it shows. It shows. I have a mission in life to rid the body of Christ of grumpy Christians. It's my mission. My mission. Are you with me, Barry? Mark, you with me? Yeah, of course you are. Mark's like one of my greatest disciples in it. He's like, yes, let's get rid of grumpy Christians. Like, here's my theory on this. Just work with me. If you've had an encounter with God's love, it should show up on your face. Sometimes I feel like saying to people, tell your face. Please, tell your face. Oh, I just love God. They sound like Eeyore. You know what I mean? You know, here's, here's something that drove me nuts about the Super Bowl. I didn't get to see the American commercials again. I didn't get to see them. I, next year, I think I'm going to watch it on a VPN so that they don't know where I'm watching it from, and I can see them. Because there was great commercials done by He Gets Us, the Christian movement that put together some amazing videos. And one of them was an amazing foot washing video, all these different depictions of foot washing. And we're washing everything, the feats of people who are prostitutes, to just everything, you name it. They were, it was incredible video. And what drove me nuts, though, was not just the fact that I didn't get to see it, but afterwards was Christians complaining about the commercial. Yes, I'm not making this up. Complaining because if you went to their website, it didn't have, you know, a nine statement of faith in their positions on every political, ideological thing you could think of. It just directed people to the love of God. How dare they? And I I watch Christians cannibalizing themselves like that. And I go, what is your problem? Stop it. Stop it. If you want to call the people up to me, the commercial, and say, listen, what is your stand on this and that? Great, knock yourself out. But for crying out loud. There were, their phone lines were ringing off the hook of people, you know, seeing Christ in a way they'd never seen him before. Because right now, more Christians are concerned about aligning themselves with political ideologies than they are about aligning themselves with Christ. 
three hand claps, that's all that gets? Thanks, Abby, you were with me, right on. Way to go, girl. Come on now. I've had it up to here. You know, folks, we got to stop that. If you're an American, Trump is not your savior. Jesus is. Hello? Like, I get sleepy Joe Biden is not, you know, probably your favorite person. I, I understand that. But I'm just saying, Trump ain't your savior. No, he's a guy who's been indicted more times than you can probably recall. He's not a moral man. He's a, he's a funny guy. And he's a bombastic guy. And he's a narcissistic guy. And he's created some policies that I liked. But he's a, he's a faltered, failed man. Are you hearing me? With hair that he spray paints, you know? That's who he is. And, you know, I, but he's just a man. Jesus is your savior. Now, I'm all for people getting involved in politics. We change the nation by serving. But the reality is, politics doesn't save a nation. Jesus does. Are you hearing me? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And, and I see these Christians online, and they're, they're like, you know, hating on people who support the other party. I don't understand how you can be Christian and put hate in the same sentence. There's people who support parties, and I go, you don't have to explain that to me. Right? I need help with that. Or let's have a conversation about that. But I can't hate them and call myself a believer. I just can't. I can say I think they've been lobotomized and I'm still a believer, but, but I can't hate them. There's no room for that in the kingdom. And they shall know we are Christians by our love one for another. Hello? Lord have mercy. Somebody help me here. All right. So what we got to do, here's what we got to do. What we got to do is we have to let the love of the Father show through our lives. Uh, John 14, 21, Jesus said, He who has my commandments, in other words, he who's been transformed by my commandments and he keeps them, is somebody who's, who loves me, somebody who's been touched by my love. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father. And I will love him and manifest myself in him. This is what I get from that. Jesus is saying, if you've experienced my love and you've experienced the Father's love, guess what he's going to do? He's going to manifest even more love in your life. That means if you've really had an encounter with the Father's love, you should be the most loving person on your city block. Because the manifest love of God is going to be revealed in through you like nobody's business. That's who we should be. We should be loving. Loving. And we need to tell it to our face because the first thing they see is our face. They don't walk up just looking at our shoes. Although my boots do look good. They come and they look at our face. And our face tells it all. And so when your face is, that's why I'm on a crusade to get rid of grumpy Christians. Get your face converted. Get it in line with your heart. Get some love coming out of you to the world. Amen? All right. All right, praise the Lord. You see, I'm saying this because our love 
is not causal. Our love is evidentiary. There's two cool words for you. Our love is not causal. It is evidentiary. What do I mean by that? In other words, my love didn't cause Jesus to go to the cross. My love to, uh, for other people didn't build his case for him to love me. My love is not the cause of my relationship with Jesus Christ. It was his love that did all those things. However, my love is evidence of my relationship. It is evidentiary. It's not causal, but it is evidentiary. My love is a response to the Father's love that sent Jesus to the cross. My love is demonstrated in my walking in his love and keeping his commandments. And finally, my love will trigger an even greater manifestation of love in my heart. So if I love, I'll be empowered to love even more. That's basically what I'm saying. Bottom line is that love is the key. It's the first thing that we all need, first thing that we all must receive from the Father, and the first thing that God wants to extract from us and give to other people. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and verse 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When we read this verse, and Barry's mentioned this before, when we read this verse, the tendency is to read it as nine different fruits of the Spirit. And you can do that. It doesn't take away from the passage. It's still true. But you can also read this passage as there is a fruit love, and then there's eight evidences of the fruit love that are fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And so I I got thinking about that, and then I came across this by a guy named Donald Gray Barnhouse, and he wrote this. He said, love is the key. Love is joy in the singing. Peace is love resting. Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is love's nature. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's touch. Self-control is love holding the reins. Amen? The fruit of the Spirit all flow out of love. Love is the first need we have most important thing we need to receive from the Father. And when we've encountered the love of the Father, we'll want to give it away. You cannot give. You can give, I should say, without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Let me conclude with a story I came across a number of years ago. There was a little boy, and he was told by the doctors that in order to save his sister's life, he could do this if he gave some of his blood. And the six-year-old girl was near death, and she had a disease for which the boy had suffered but made a miraculous recovery two years previously. And since they both had the same rare blood type, he was the perfect donor for his sister. So the doctor asked him, he said, Johnny, would you be willing to give your blood for Mary? And the boy hesitated and his bottom lip kind of trembled a bit. But then he said, sure, doc, I'll give my blood for my sister. So they... Two children were wheeled into the operating room, Mary kind of pale and thin, and then Johnny robust, a picture of health. And they hooked them up together, and neither one of them spoke, but Johnny kind of smiled as he looked at his sister, laying there on the table beside her. And as his blood was siphoned off and put into Mary, one could almost see the life uh, being restored to her body and her kind of coming back to life as she's receiving this from her brother. And then Johnny looked up at the doctor and he said, Hey, doc. When do I die? He literally thought 
to give his blood. He'd be giving his life for hers. And you see, that is what he was willing to do. That's love. Isn't that what Jesus did? He gave his blood for us. He was willing to lay it all down for you and I. Because the Father loved us so much. Jesus wanted us to come into the family so we could experience the Father's love. And so Jesus gave his life to restore us to the Father. Do you understand that? That's why Jesus is considered the great mediator. The one who stands in the gap between us and the Father. And he brings the gap together. Why? So that he can restore our relationship to Father. And if we never get to a place where we are able to receive him as Father, then we never get to the place where we understand God fully. Yes, we all encounter Jesus first, and then many of us Holy Spirit, but it's the love of the Father that needs to transform our hearts. You know, the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship had written over their back wall, I think it's still there, and it says that we might encounter his love and then give it away. That's what it's all about, is encountering the love of the Father. And they talked, had testimony after testimony after testimony. It was, it was literally, I think, uh, one of the greatest moves of God because it was about restoring the Father heart of God to the church of Jesus Christ. And we've all been in a journey since then, and that's what God's been doing. He's been restoring the Father's love to the church of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you today. Take all of those issues that we have, receiving love, and lay them at the heart of the Father. I know there's some painful stories out here today. Can't help but be some painful stories out here today. But the love of the Father is the cure. It's the fix. Could you stand with me this morning? A little long this morning, but still shorter than Steve Furtick. He was an hour and one minute last week. I watched him. So I felt better. I was less than that. Good word, though, by the way, if you want to go back and watch it. You know, church, we need an encounter with the Father's heart. We do. We need to be transformed by the love of the Father. And I realize that we live in a very polarizing world. We, we, we do. And there's some crazy stuff out there. There's stuff that if you'd have told me we'd be talking about it today, 20 years ago, I'd laugh my head off. Wouldn't have thought it possible. But it doesn't matter how crazy or wacky it gets. The world needs the love of the Father. Amen? And you are uniquely positioned to introduce it to them. Because you are a carrier of his love. But you're not going to be able to do it if you don't get this right. You've got to encounter God as your father. And if you had a bad relationship with your dad, you know, I feel for you, I really do. And, uh, you know, my dad and my relationship wasn't perfect either, or far from it. But I needed to realize my dad 
did, I think, the best he could do with the revelation he had. And then I did the best I could do with the revelation I had. And that's probably why I'm a better grandfather than I was a dad, because I've got a greater revelation now than I had when I was a dad. And, and the reality is, is that we, we have to take what God has, has done in us and let it transform our earthly relationships. Let it redeem them. Let it fix them so that we can get beyond that and we can be his hands and his feet to this world. Amen? So if you need healing today of any area in your heart that needs to be used to love the world, I want you to just put your hands out to God like this. And we're going to receive from him today a restoration of our heart's ability to love. We're going to receive from him today the Father's love. We're going to let it touch our hearts today. And as you just put your hands out to God like this today, then just grab a hold of it and just bring it in like this to your heart. Bring it into your heart. Just hold your hands over your heart. Father, today we stand here with our hands held over our heart, and we realize it's, this is a metaphorical exercise that we do. That, Lord, the physical thing in our body we call a heart is simply pumping, it's an organ pumping blood around our body, and Father, keeping us alive. But, Lord, we understand also it's the source of life, and Father, our spiritual heart is a source of life. And we bring, Father, today, Lord, the love of the Father and embrace it into our heart. Father, would you heal the areas of our life that, Lord, need to be healed? Would you help us to be able to love like we've never loved before? Father, would you take the bad experiences we had with love and heal them so that, God, my image of Dad, my image of Father God is healed and built on the Scripture rather than on my experience. That I take my experience and I bring it under the... the the, the Word of God, and I allow my experience to be shaped by the Word instead of taking the Word and shaping it by my experience. And Father, I ask for you to do that today in our lives. Father, that your Word would transform us and that, God, we would literally be able to love the world as Christ has loved us through the Father. And we ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen.